started with blood in the water and it ended with parents shrieking over the death of their firstborn child. And in between, there were frogs and lice and flies and dead animals and boils and hail and locusts and darkness that swallowed up the entire land. No one knows for sure how long it lasted, five months, nine months, perhaps even a year. But regardless of how long it did last, it was way too long. By the time death visited the majority of Egyptian households, the people, even Pharaoh himself, they were weary of the whole mess. They just wanted it to finally be over. And that meant it was time for the people of Israel, who had been living in their land as slaves, to get out. Let's pick up the story in Exodus chapter 12, verse 31. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go, worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said, and go, and also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. Out is exactly what the Israelites wanted to be. Uh, they were sick and tired of working from sun up to sundown under the scorching sun in the watchful eye of abusive and oppressive slave masters. This is the moment they had been waiting for since Moses and Aaron arrived with their rah-rah speech about a new life in a land flowing with milk and honey. It been a long wait. Well, not really. It hadn't been that long. It, Matter of fact, at the most, it had been a year, but, but when you're suffering, any amount of waiting feels like a long time, right? It hadn't been that long, but it was longer than they hoped. And change always is, or usually is. To move from the place where you are to the place that you want to be usually takes longer than you anticipate or want it to be. Rarely does a marriage or a troubled marriage turn around overnight. Or a rebellious child decide to obey after one good talking to. Or a bad habit give up without a fight. It takes time before things get better. And oftentimes, as we saw last week, things tend to get worse before they get better. And this can be discouraging. It was certainly discouraging to the Israelites Listen again to a passage we read last week, Exodus chapter 6, verse 9. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. But here's what the Exodus story impresses upon us. What God promises, God delivers. God promised to deliver the Israelites from Egyptian captivity, and he did. Exodus chapter 12, verse 40 now, the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. In the same way, you can trust that God will lead you out of whatever bondage you may be in this morning to a better life, but it won't be easy. 
In fact, there will be moments that are discouraging, but not only that, there will be moments that are downright scary. And that's what the Israelites quickly discovered. Let's pick up the story in Exodus chapter 14, verse 5. 5 through 7, then verse 10. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We've let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified. Can you blame them for being terrified? Behind them, but coming up quick on their tail, was the well-organized, highly skilled, vastly experienced killing machine known as the Egyptian army. And in front of them was this huge body of water that was known as the Red Sea. They were hemmed in. It, it appeared to be an impossible situation that was before them. Fight or swim? Well, Lord knows they were not fighters. In fact, this is the whole reason that God said, hey, why don't you take the scenic route instead of going the direct route towards Egypt? That was his whole purpose for doing that. Swim? Well, how much time do you think they had to swim in Egypt prior to this? This was not a good situation. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a situation where there appeared to be no good option? Where every possible outcome seemed to be one of doom? If you haven't been, eventually you will be. And so what do you do when it appears that life is impossible? Well, notice what the Israelites did. Exodus chapter 14, verse 10. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. That's good, right? Yeah, that's, that's, that's real good. But there also seems to be something bad going on here, at least in my mind. Let me explain. It appears to me that the Israelites were treating God much like many of us treat our local lifeguard. We know the lifeguard is there. We are glad that the lifeguard is there. We may nod at the lifeguard as we walk by and see him or her on the stand. We appreciate his or her abilities. We have faith in that lifeguard. But at the end of the day, we don't give that lifeguard a second thought unless we are in a life-threatening situation. I mean, even when the lifeguard blows his or her whistle because we're running around the pool, we just kind of think, ugh, kill joy, and that's all the thought we give them. And it appears to me, I may be wrong, but it appears to me this is exactly the way that the Israelites were relating to God. But they're not the only ones, are they? Too often we give very little thought to God until we find ourselves in a disastrous situation. And then, only then, do we cry out to God. In those moments, that's when we decide to cry out to God. I forgot, Lord, that I've got a test today. Save me. God, there's a bill coming in that I can't pay. Rescue me. God, my, my marriage is in trouble. Don't let me down. 
Is it right to cry out to God in those terrifying moments? Of course it is. It is the very best decision you could possibly make. But please understand that the odds of you feeling much peace in those cries of desperation are really small unless it's not undergirded with a deep personal relationship with God. A relationship that's forged through spending time with God in prayer, in the study of His Word, in worship, in serving other people, in meditation, and just being in the presence of the Lord. You see, when the odds seem impossible, it's a relationship with the God who does the impossible that will keep us calm. And crying out to God was the right thing for the Israelites to do. But everything they did after that was a total mess. I mean, as soon as the last amen, that amen was said, what did they do? Well, they, they blamed Moses. They blamed their leader. They turned on him. Exodus chapter 14, verse 11, they said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? I get that the people were terrified, but what exactly were they thinking? Does this, does this make any sense? I mean, Mer Moses has spent up to a year doing battle with Pharaoh. Why? Just to lead them into the desert to die? That's absolutely ridiculous, right? You know, we can see that, but that's where fear without faith quickly leads us, to thinking, if not accusing others of nefarious motives. Moses' motives were not wrong. He only did what God asked him to do. This was God's plan. God is the one that led the Israelites to this place where they were now boxed in. And if you are here this morning and you feel like you are now boxed in by some situation in your life, please know this. You may be in the exact place that God wants you to be. It's not a fun place to be. It's not an easy place to be when you're boxed in, not knowing what you should do next, but it may be the place God needs you to be in order for Him to, to do some work in your life, to strengthen your faith, to refine your character, to do His good will, His plan in your life. He may have you exactly where He wants you to be. As James reminds us, it's the hard, disappointing, and scary moments of life that most often shape our faith, giving us reason to rejoice rather than to shake in fear. James puts it like this in James chapter 1, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let this perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It was God who led Israel to this place, but it was Moses who got the blame. Verse 11 and 12 of Exodus 14, What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? There's another way to describe what the Israelites are doing right here. It's called playing the victim card. It's a sport that many of us like to play, right? You know, when our life's not going the way we want it to go, we, we play the victim card, we say things like this, you know, my life would be so much better if the coach didn't cut me. It's his fault. My life would be so much better if the doctor didn't put me on the wrong diet. It, it's her fault. My life would be so much better if the people at church were just a little bit more friendly. It's their 
faults. If finger pointing was an Olympic sport, some of us would have more gold medals than Michael Phelps. We have become a nation of victims. Now, please don't misunderstand me. That's not to say people are not victimized. They are, every single day, in terrible ways. But please hear me out. You will have an incredibly hard time getting to a life of freedom and joy if you adopt a victim mentality. Blaming others does not help. It doesn't work. But trusting God is still at work, even in those moments when you know you've been worked, it does. So trust God. And not only do the people blame Moses, but they assume the worst. We go on to read in verse 12, It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. They, they cried out to God. That's great, right? But as soon as they were done crying out to God, instead of just anticipating that he was going to intervene on their behalf, just as he had done in Israel, they began to plan their funeral service. Not a whole lot of faith there, not a whole lot of trust. And yet it's the same thing many of us do when we're terrified, right? Even though God has shown up for us time and time again in amazing ways, we just begin to assume the worst possible outcome. Instead of trusting that he'll do it again, we get in our mind these worst-case scenarios. Hey, Joe, the boss needs to see you. Great, I know this, this is bad. I'm going to get fired. I know I'm going to get fired. Julie, the doctor, found a spot. Spot, it could only be one thing. It's got to be cancer. No, it's going to be cancer. Sweetheart, we need to talk. You're going to break up with me. I know you're going to break up with me. I break up with you first. <laughs> we claim to be people of faith, but some of us are neurotic doomsday thinkers. And obviously, the worst does occur at times, but even when it does, we should be in people of incredible optimism. We may feel boxed in, but God never is. He is the God of the impossible. So there's got to be a better way to respond when life is terrifying, right? And there is. I want you to listen to what Moses said to these accusing, blaming, worst-case scenario thinking people. He said this in Exodus chapter 14 and verse 13. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. <laughs> Are you serious, Moses? Don't, don't be afraid. How do you not be afraid when death by sword is behind you and death by drowning is before you? That's silly. And it would be silly if the Israelites were alone, but they weren't. They weren't alone. The God who had proven to be mightier than every other God in Egypt was with them. And that's really what this whole plague situation was all about. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob went toe-to-toe with the greatest God's of Egypt. Hapai, the god of the Nile. Ket, the god of fertility. Geb, the god of the earth. Seth, the god of storms. Re, the sun god. And ultimately, Pharaoh, who was considered to be the most powerful. And every single one of those gods fell at the feet of the god of Israel. And once God freed the people of Israel, did he leave them? No, he did not. He led them. Verse 21 and 22 of Exodus 13, 
By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. God is with you, and God will lead you. One of Israel's greatest, Israel's greatest king, David, he found great comfort in this assurance. Psalm chapter 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. God, the great shepherd, the one who knows all the dangerous terrain, the hidden pitfalls, the narrow precipices, he leads us around and about and through the dangers of life. We can be confident because God's got us. And centuries later, Jesus offered this exact same assurance to those who felt boxed in by limited resources. Jesus, looking out at the crowd who was, for the most part, poor, spoke these words. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. God never leaves us, but the question is, are we following him? If not, if we're not following him, you can be sure that panic and then most likely poor decisions will be quick to follow. But if we're truly following him, then we can rest calmly, anticipating that God's going to lead us. He's going to show us the way to a better life. You know, what's interesting to me is that just days prior to this moment, and that these Israelites are trembling, they just courageously marched out of Egypt. I want you to listen to Exodus 13, verse 18. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. They, said, they sound tough in this moment, don't they? They just march right out of Egypt. Hey, we're ready for battle. They're ready to take on anyone confident that they can defeat anyone who stands in their way but they weren't, and God knew it. God knew they had more fear than they did have faith. He knew that if they faced some type of opposition, most likely they would want to run back from the place from where they came. And so we read in verse 17 and 18 of Exodus 13, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road to the Philistine country, though that was shorter for God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. God may have kept them out of the war, but he led them to this dead end, right? He led them to this place where they were boxed in. Army behind them, Red Sea in front of them, boxed in. God, why did you do it? Why would you lead your people to this place where they've got no options, apparently, and they're just stuck here waiting to die one way or the other? And God says, here's why I did it. I did it to build their faith. Faith in me, not themselves. That's why I led them to this place. And so to a terrified group of people, Moses spoke these words. He said, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. 
One of the best possible decisions you can make when life appears to be terrifying, when life appears to be without options, is this. Stand firm in your faith. Stand firm in your faith. Don't cower to your fear. Don't give in to the enemy. Don't give up on moving forward into the better life that you desire. You stand firm in your faith and you be still. Don't try to manipulate the outcome. Don't try to control what is not in your control. Be still and let God fight for you. He will. He always does. Now, when I say be still, that does not mean don't do anything. In fact, listen to what God told Moses to tell the Israelites. Verse 15. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. When life is scary, we must move forward. We must take that next step of faith. We must do the next right thing. And for the Israelites, this meant walking through the Red Sea. Verse 16. Exodus 14, raise your your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. It had to have been terrifying to walk through the Red Sea. I want you to imagine it for just a moment. By most estimates, it was 85 feet deep where they crossed. But God provided. They walked through on dry ground. They walked through a place where there's 85 feet of water. And I can only begin to imagine, Jeff and I were talking about this week. Can you imagine walking through and glancing to the side and seeing all these different sea creatures just swimming back and forth? And and you're walking through and and how terrifying it must have been. But but this is what God does. He, He provides. It's what he always does. He provides what we need to move to a better place when we choose to walk in faith, even when we're really scared. So my question for you as we close this morning is this. What's the next right thing that you need to do this week? What's that step of faith for you this week? Is it to re-engage in a relationship Is it to decide to come back and join us in person for worship? Is it to have that difficult conversation? Is it to put Christ on in baptism? Is it to volunteer for a ministry? Is it to see a therapist? Is it to join a support group? Whatever it is, know this, that if you will take that step, God will be with you. And he will lead you and he will provide for you every step of the way.